I'm going to pray for us because I want to, and then we'll read from Luke 19. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have, and thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the encounters we experience with you, Lord. Remind us that our encounters are not just when we come to the saving grace and mercy of you and the acceptance of that free gift, but our encounters is with you each and every moment as you sustain our life. And I do pray, Lord, that if anyone here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, has not had that encounter, that today could be the day. So we thank you for your spirit that guides us. We thank you for worship, and we just thank you that we can gather together. We're excited for all that you do in our lives, that that we see and that that we don't. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So with that, we're going to continue on in our series with my encounters with Jesus, encounters with Jesus. So if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, please turn to Luke 19. We're going to read, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know you're going to sing the song all day today. A wonderful passage of scripture. Zacchaeus 19. Zacchaeus. I'm a mess. Let's go home. All right. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him, him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Amen. Brief prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you again for this opportunity to come and be blessed by it, Lord. We pray that you prepare our hearts. I thank you that you do. So, Lord, if we just uh, are thankful that you did come to save us, that you came to seek us out and to save us, for we were all once lost. So, Lord, use me as you see fit. And again, prepare our hearts. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. <clears throat> so I would imagine that if you've gone to Sunday school, at any point in your life as a kid, you sang this song, and maybe even you were blasphemous like me and called Luke 19 Zacchaeus 19, but... But just to show of hands, I don't normally do, you know the song, right? I'm not going to sing because I don't sing well, right? Okay. I like, I like how some of you are like, you were afraid I was going to call you up to sing it. Oh, I should. No, I'm just kidding. All right. 
But uh, you think of the song, and it's neat, and, and really the focus is that you climb in a tree. Zacchaeus climbs in a tree. Jesus, where I'm coming to your house today, and you're like, yay, and it ends there, and then you go on to the next song, and you sing it for the rest of the week, and you're excited, but there's so much more, and I'm not discrediting children's curriculum or, or Sunday school or any of that, and of course, the, God's word is inspired by him. It is his word. He is the word, and uh, we can only take bite size as at the age appropriate, and the more and more we grow. So as I mentioned last week, I had uh, flipped about the order in which I was going to do things a little bit, and Zacchaeus is one of my favorite as a kid, obviously, because it had a cool song, just like Father Abraham, had many sons, and, and they stick with you. And, and this time when I was going through it, there is so much more than face value, I would suggest. So just a little bit of background and I will uh, cover the encounters with Jesus that we went through it because I, I really feel like Zacchaeus, this story, is paramount to the direction that we're going in this simply because there's so many parallels to what we've already covered and what we will cover in the future. So just, just quickly as you consider, Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho is the oldest and con- most continuous city ever. There's never been a city that has continued to have inhabitants and be considered a city ever. So if you go into Israel, and side note, I don't know when we're going to Israel. We're still working out the date, but when we do, you should come and you'll see Zacchaeus' tree. All right, so, but Jericho is the longest continuous historical city of all time, so it's several thousand years old. But what that means is that it has been conquered over and over and over again, but never been wiped out. And the reason why this is so important, because Jericho itself is where a lot of stories take place. And the reason a lot of stories take place from the Bible is because it is the halfway point from Galilee to Jerusalem. So just about everyone from the north or even from the east, from the west, would have to go or stop in Jericho to fill up get water, get supplies, and then continue to Jericho anytime they were going over to any of the Jewish festivals. And why that's important also is because the people in Jericho used this as an opportunity to get great wealth. It was considered a Las Vegas, if you will, of its time. And there's so much we can cover. We could just talk about Jericho in in general, but there's the date palm trees, and they give off a great fragrance, and people would sell, and and during the old times, the historical times, people would run out, especially the kids would run out to watch all of the people come in. A lot of commentaries were talking about how they would say, hey, look at that guy. I remember that guy from the last festival as they were preparing to go themselves. But Jericho, if you, you know, the Good Samaritan going through Jericho. There's so many stories that we won't cover, but this was so important that Jericho has continued to go on. So as Jesus is coming, if you remember, Jesus is now making his way to Passover, the Passover feast, into Jerusalem. And the reason he's doing this is because ultimately he's going to be the Passover lamb. So this is why he's on his way. And, and if you'll notice, now that we're in Luke, you'll notice what Luke does is once Jesus starts to head towards Jerusalem, the emphasis of how important it is to come to Christ, the time is coming to an end you need to accept now, Luke really ramps it up. And you'll see that in Revelation, and you'll see that also in Romans, how we don't have much time. So all that to, to consider is 
Now we are introduced to Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He is, considered, he is called the chief tax collector. And really just how tax collection worked at the time is if you desired to be a tax collector, what you would do is you would write a proposal to Rome and say, I guarantee I can get this much tax. So you would bid for the position. It's just like bidding for a job. You were a chief tax collector if you could guarantee a certain much and say, I can have this many people under me who can collect from other regions. Not only that, is Zacchaeus is Jewish, and that is not a good thing for him, for anybody, because the Roman government was in control. The Jewish people didn't like him. So to be a Jewish man, to work for the government that you despise, meant that you automatically were ruled out from any of the reindeer games. You were not invited to Christmas. You weren't invited to anything. You essentially signed up to be rich and alone. And that'll be significant. Also, I, I was going to read the account from, math, uh, from Matthew. Uh, not that he has this account, but Matthew later on shares about his experience coming to Christ. And he was also a tax collector. If anyone's watching the Chosen series, I don't know if you think it's blasphemous or not. I love it. I think it's the most well-done document, if you were document series of it. And there's, this, there's a play on the tax collectors that I think you could watch and appreciate. But anyways, I don't get money for that. I just enjoy it. So, But to consider that he was a tax collector, and, in, and it's important too because he, he, I can't emphasize this enough, he was willing to be rich to be alone. He was willing to be rich and be alone. So much so that even the Jewish commentaries would describe tax collectors in the first century, they would call them lower than dogs. The Jewish people could not stand them because there were several taxes. There was the breathing tax. Rome would tax you for breathing. If you were a 13-year-old boy, you were taxed until you died. If you were a 14-year-old girl, you were taxed for breathing because, obviously, you were breathing Roman air. They owned the air, so you got taxed for it. You got taxed for owning land. You got taxed for anything that you made. Taxes range somewhere to 55%. Of what you got. So imagine that you're the chief tax collector. If I was a tax collector, I would charge you 55%, and then I would probably charge you at least 1% so I can get rich. Now, I wouldn't tell you what the standard was, but I would expect, and you would say, that's not fair. Well, go talk to my Roman buddies because they have swords, so you would pay it. So the Jewish people, what they would do is they would say, look, I only caught 10 fish. Liar, you caught 20, but you can only tax me on 10. So it's just like avoiding taxes today. I don't recommend it. Don't do it. But this is what the community was. So when we read the Zacchaeus climbed into a tree, what we're reading is this man who was always alone but always rich wanted to see Jesus. And now he is figuring out. So what we're going to do is just consider what it means for him to climb into a tree. Why climb into a tree? I have two pictures just so you could see the actual tree of Zacchaeus. It's a millionaire. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know how old it is. It's really old. I didn't take that picture because I can't take very good pictures, but someone in the group when we went took that picture. So it's an old tree. I think there's another one. And there it is. So more than likely, it's an offshoot from the original tree. But when you go to Jericho, which is now a Muslim area, um, is, uh, Jewish people... And Israelites are not allowed to go unless you're a tour guide and you bring tourists, so we are allowed to go. 
But that's a tree, and you can take a picture, and you can buy one of those fancy little necklaces that you can't quite make out on the tree for only five bucks. I didn't buy one, but you can have one. And all that to say, and the reason I wanted to show you that, that picture is because do you see how low the branches are? Because my very first question that I asked, I remember when I was like in first grade, if he was so short, how did he get into the tree? Did he bring a ladder? Because I was the annoying student that always asked questions that didn't matter, but just to throw off the teacher, because I just wanted to know. But the branches were low, so he would climb up it. So just for reference, he wanted to have an encounter with Jesus, but I would suggest he wasn't sure what that encounter would be. But let's just consider just real quick the last couple of people that we've covered in our series, in this series of encounters with Jesus, to specifically see what they did to get to Jesus. Because what they actually ended up doing to reach Jesus, to see Jesus, to touch Jesus, was socially and culturally unacceptable. Most of the first century Jewish rabbis considered it childish if you ran. But let's just quickly go through this. The blind man, we started off with the blind man. He responded to Christ when Christ said, go and wash into the pool. He left his place of begging and he would not have been allowed to go and wonder about or get into water because the water would have been contaminated. No one would have allowed him to go in, but yet he did it. It was considered childish to have mud in his eyes. Second, the lady at the well. She had a conversation with Jesus. She shouldn't. He was a man. He was Jewish. He was Samaritan. She went back and told, and she ran, and she left her water container back to go and tell everybody. Running was considered childish. Remember Jairus? We talked about him, how he threw himself in front of Jesus, begging him to heal his daughter. Jairus was giving up his job, his position, his status to beg Jesus to heal because when he would have when he would have went back home, everyone would have said, you threw yourself at someone's feet. That's so childish. What are you doing? The lady with the bleeding condition, we talked about her last week as well. She snuck into a crowd and touched the garment. She was not behaving as a child. First century commentaries would say that anyone who had an ailment that snuck into a crowded place was selfish and childish. She wasn't allowed to go around anyone. She was going to contaminate and make everyone around her unclean. And they all, all of these people knew they needed something from Jesus. Some had already had belief, some had hope, some had hope in their belief. But all of these people that we considered threw themselves at Jesus' feet, or in Zacchaeus' way, he climbed up a tree, very childish. Because even I would suggest now, not just in the Eastern hist old culture, but to do anything like a child would be childish, obviously. You don't run. You don't do that. Can you imagine right now if I said, all right, class is dismissed, and you see everyone running around, and you're childish. We have to remind our children not to run because, forgive me, there's old people in here, and you don't want to run into them. Don't be a child. Don't run out into the street. What are you doing? Have you ever been having a conversation with someone and your kid comes up and just starts talking to you as if no one in the world matters but you? And you're like, I'm talking to someone. Or you're the pastor of the church and you're praying with someone and, and one of your children who's related to you because they're your children pulls on your shirt when you're praying. You're, go away. Like, don't be childish. 
I've taught you better than this. Has anyone ever told their children that I've taught you better than this? Be honest. Come on. You have. Has anyone ever said, well, not Jackson, but Jacksons don't act that way. Now throw in your last. We don't do that. Are you kidding? They're childhood. They don't, they do not care. But this is what it is. This is what we're seeing is that people through these encounters, it doesn't matter what society or social norms say I should do. This is what I'm doing to come to Christ. And now Zacchaeus is climbing a tree. So childish. And even more, not only were these people willing to be mocked and lose everything for the sake of Christ, more importantly, they responded to what Christ did to them. They responded to the invitation of Jesus. Just quickly, again, to the blind man, go and wash. And he went and washed. He said, whenever um, Jairus found out that his daughter, when the servants came and said, leave the rabbi alone, she has died. And what does Jesus say? Have faith, your daughter's not dead. He continued to follow Jesus back to the house. Whenever the lady with the bleeding ailment touched his garment, he said, who touched me? So that way, she can have an encounter with Jesus so everyone can see. She responded. She didn't go and hide. Whenever the lady at the well, at the final, the end of the conversation, when the lady at the well said, if only the Messiah would come, he could explain all these things with, to me. And then Jesus responds, I am the Messiah. And she ran back to tell everyone. And the key here is we are seeing that Zacchaeus is actually the opposite of the rich young ruler that we covered a couple of weeks ago. By all accounts, he would have been on similar status, at least wealth-wise, as the rich young ruler. And yet, remember what the rich young ruler did? He had an encounter with Jesus. He bowed down. He did the things that were not socially acceptable, but when Jesus said, go and sell your possession and give it to the poor, he walked away sad. He didn't do it. And here, Zacchaeus is the opposite of that rich young ruler. He climbed up a tree, socially not accepting. And the reality is it's just weird. I, I can't stress this enough. If you were at a parade and you saw a grown man climbing in a tree, what would you say? What's wrong with that guy? Come on, kids, let's go across the street. It was not acceptable. But yet, Jesus, when he tells the rich young ruler to follow, he doesn't. But yet Zacchaeus knows that there's something responding, not just going and seeing, but believing in Christ. And this is where we're coming to. There's a difference between knowing who Jesus is and believing and trusting that he is a Messiah. There's a difference. Even the demons know. But a relationship is what Christ desires, a childlike relationship. So I found it interesting as I was studying through this, preparing more and more for these encounters with Jesus, I realized that almost all the first century Jewish rabbis considered all of these actions childish. But what does Jesus say that we need to do in order to come into the kingdom of God? Act like a child. I'll have Mark 10, verse 13 and 16. You can turn there, but it'll be on the screen. And and, and listen to this, with the consideration of being a child. One day, some parents brought their children, excuse me, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. 
For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their head, and blessed them. Now apply that to what we've just been considering with the encounters with Jesus. If you don't come as a child, so look at verse 15 again of that. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child and runs to me and climbs up a tree, goes and washes, acts like a child, cannot inherit the kingdom. So why is it on one hand we say don't be childish, but on the other hand, Jesus says be like a child. It's this contrast that we're seeing. And, and really childlike faith is really what Christ asks of us. And really when he says childlike faith, he's saying be dependent on me. Don't worry about what it looks like to everybody else. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, trying so hard and worrying about not being like a child is the most childish thing you can do. Worrying about what other people think if you are acting younger than you ought is in itself childish. But that childlike faith, being a child, really means being totally dependent and totally being okay with it. That's what childlike faith means. Think about, again, just a five-year-old comes up to you in the, in the middle of the conversation, like I mentioned earlier, and just interrupts. But just really take time. For those of you who've had children who have five-year-olds, and I'm not picking on mine, but maybe I am because she's not in here. But, or you had five-year-olds, or you have grandchildren or five-year-olds. And again, just really picture that. You're having a conversation, and, and the five-year-old, your kid runs in and ignores everything. All they know is, there's my daddy. That's my daddy. I'm coming to my daddy. It doesn't matter who my daddy's talking to, because I'm the most important person to my daddy. Now, at first you might think this is selfish, but think about that childlike faith. I'm going to climb up this tree to see my daddy. I'm going to go run to my daddy at his feet and say, daddy, daddy, daddy. And there's something to that. Or mommy, mommy, mommy. But you get the point. But just consider it. Just thinking, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. And again, I know it's hard because socially you tell your kids all the time, shh, don't interrupt. If you see me having a conversation, you wait patiently. I'll make eye contact with you. Then I'll, I'll address you when it's appropriate. If I don't talk to you within 30 seconds, come back again. I mean, that's our unwritten rule. I don't know what your unwritten rule is, but that's our unwritten rule. But think about it. Think about when they're like, oh, I know that's what you said, but I'm here for you, daddy. And these people can wait because you're my dad. It doesn't matter what socially accepted is. And that's what the childlike faith of the kingdom of God is like. I know you can do it, dad. I know that I can depend on you, dad. I know that you can make it happen. I need this and oh, I, I, I know, and, and, and I know you could take care of it. Daddy, I want a pony. I mean, everything, Daddy. You could, you could just give me everything in the world. I believe and I can trust in you. Little kids with a loving father and a mother, they know that they are totally accepted, totally reassured that they can come right up to them. Because also deep down inside, they know that their mom and dad has seen the worst of them, but yet still loves them. And that's what a relationship in Christ needs to be. And really considering this, this a little bit more, if you have too high of a view of yourself, 
you are not dependent like a child. I can do this. I don't need to ask for help. My dad knows what I need. I don't even have to pray. Or if you have too low of a view of yourself, meaning to say that you do not think that Jesus can love you or that you're not lovable, that self-pity, then that's not childlike faith either. Stott wrote, and he said to consider this, if you were too high or too low of yourself, you stop looking at yourself through the lens of the cross. The cross really reminds us that we are valued at our very lowest and at our worst. That is why it is so powerful that Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. So childlike faith, all of these encounters that we've read, and even if when we've heard, we've heard the people come and give their encounters, you hear the childlike wonder. I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised my father did it. And one more thing about the tree, because I'm not done with the tree. When Zacchaeus climbed up to the, to the tree, he, admit, he admitted that he needed help. It says he was short in stature, so he climbed up to a tree. Our biggest hurdle of accepting Christ is pride. And when Zacchaeus got up into the tree, he was admitting something. He was short and he needed to do something more than the norm. For those of you who wear glasses or contacts like I do, to wear glasses or contact means a couple of things. First, you have bad eyesight. So if I took out my, uh, my contacts, I couldn't see Richard in the back, and I know he looked like a green blur. <laughs> Everyone's looking at Richard to make sure he's wearing a green shirt to see if I have my contacts in. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> but I had to admit it. The first time, the, I mean, this is real simple. Uh, the first time I, I realized when I was driving, like 18 years old, I was thinking, I don't know if that's a stop or a go. I don't know. I got my eyes checked, and I had to admit it. And not only did I have to admit it, that I had poor eyesight, then I had to respond when the doctor said, here's contacts and glasses. So I had to respond to that. And then I had to respond when I went home that I would actually wear them. You see that pride? All those times, I don't need glasses. I don't need that. I mean, you could think of whatever it is in your life, but it's so easy to say, I don't need that. You have to admit it. It's part of confessing your sin. Pride says, no, you don't. You're good enough. But that childlike faith says, I can't see, Dad. I need you to help me. Think about when your kids were so scared when they ran into your room in the middle of the night. Daddy, it's scary. They didn't just lay in the bed and think, oh, man, I'm scared, but I don't want to tell Dad because that's weird. I'm too prideful. No, they just ran. All they knew is they, your kid knew you could do something about it. And that's what Zacchaeus did. I have to see him, and I'm short, and I don't care, and I'm going to climb up to the tree. But whatever it is, you have to admit, admit it. You're not feeling very good for a long period of time. No, I'm fine. I'm not going to go to the doctor. They just want my money. I'm going to go drink some magic elixir, milk, and feel all better, whatever. But then you go to the doctor, and the doctor does a scan and says, oh, there's something wrong. No, I don't need the treatment. I'm fine. It's that pride that says to do it. So climbing up this tree... Zacchaeus, was, he was okay that he was short. And he needed to do something about it. And he didn't, and it did not matter. Pride, and here's the thing that measuring pride. When you are doing something, 
Who or what are you looking at over your shoulder? Who are you trying to get the approval from? Or who are you hoping doesn't see what you're doing? The other question about pride that I wrote down considering this, pride, when you first meet and get to know someone, what do you make sure people know about you before they leave? What's most important to you? See, because I, I always go back, and as I was considering all of these things, going back over and thinking about, if Zacchaeus didn't go into the tree, I don't know if he would have seen Jesus, and I don't know if Jesus would have said, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. And I don't know if that lady at the well, if she would have saw Jesus and got up and left, I don't know if Jesus would have chased her. I don't know. If the blind man who had mud in his eye said, no, this is weird, I'm not going to go. The lady who almost touched the the hymn of Jesus, ah, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable. I'm not sure what would it look like. I'm looking around to everybody else. What will other people say? So without all that in mind, let's consider again what's taking place. Let's just go back through Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Verse 1, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was way too short to see over the crowd. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus. Stop right there. Zacchaeus. Now, I would imagine the people in the crowd are like, oh, Jesus is going to get him. Ah, he's finally, we can't do anything because he's protected by Rome, but Jesus is going to get him. Get him, Jesus. Have you ever done that hope that someone will get what they deserve? Well, I do. (laughs) I don't like when bad guys win. I get upset. So he says, Zacchaeus. And what's interesting is how did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? But he knew him. Just like it's the whole, uh, when Jesus talks about, I call my sheep, they know my voice, I call them by name. So he says, Zacchaeus, and and very emphatically, he says, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home, or the new King James, I must sup with you in your home. Quick, come down. There's an emphasis that Jesus is saying, this is very important. Quickly, come. Come. Come, I'm coming to your house. And what does Zacchaeus do? What does he do with his encounter with Jesus? He quickly climbed down and took Jesus into his home in great excitement and joy. And if you want to go back and you look, quick, come down, he quickly comes down. He responds exactly what Jesus asked him to do. So the question is, with your encounter with Jesus, do you do exactly what Jesus asked you to do or do you just kind of kind of sort of do what Jesus asked you to do. Because if you look in the Greek, it says quickly come down, and he quickly does. It's the same word. There's like eight different words for quickly. Uh, that may not mean so much to us in our English, but for, for the Greek, it was showing the imperative of come quickly, I came quickly. Come to me, I went to you. So really the question again is, is when Christ asks you to do something, do you do it or do you drag your feet? When your parents ask you to take out the trash, do you take out the trash in a hurry because you want to do it? Or do you say, I'll do it in five minutes? 
which turns into two hours, which turns into the next day, which turns into you bribing your brother to go do it for you. Do you do it? Do you respond to the encounter? Because we've already covered, there's always an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and no to Jesus. And I would suggest, for, for me, I've noticed, at least in my life, and even going through this, Jesus calls, I say yes. Jesus says, do this. Will I say yes? Will you count the cost? But what does Jesus do? He says, come quickly. He comes down. Zacchaeus comes quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. I think deep down inside, Zacchaeus was like, I was hoping he would notice me and not yell at me and scream at me. And there's something about him because everyone's been talking about him and, and he's healed blind people and there's so much that he's done, maybe he can do it for me. Maybe I'm such a bad, hated person, I've given up relationships and everything to be rich, and now maybe someone will care for me. And then the encounter, the second people who are in, have an encounter with Jesus in verse 7. But the people were displeased. Has he gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner? They grumbled. Remember, they called him lower than a dog. Has he really gone to go be with him? Has he really? And we'll consider them in a moment, what that means, their encounter. But one thing, when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, I think it's important to just pick up some of these things. He says, come down. It's not only an invitation, but it's an affirmation of God's invitation. Come down. I'm coming here for you. The worst of the worst in this town. And really when he says that I'm going to sup with you or stay with you, it's really the, the, the notion of like room and board and bed and breakfast. And I don't know how long Jesus stayed. Some people think a couple days, at least one day. Because in the, in the Old Testament, to come and dine, that sup, to have supper with, was, was a very intimate thing. You didn't just have people over just to have a fun time. If you invited someone over for dinner or if you came to someone's house, you were brought into that inner circle. You were brought in. You were allowing this guest that you came in to be around your whole family. Granted, Zacchaeus didn't have it, have anyone in his family, but that means I'm coming to you. Uh, this morning we're going to receive communion, and Paul uses that same word, sup, or supper, for the Lord's Supper. So not only is Jesus saying, I'm going to stay with you, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to be with you. But notice the order of events. When Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, let's read verse 8. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people out of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Notice that Jesus didn't invite himself into his house after Zacchaeus said, I'm going to do all these things to be cleaned up. The order of events is so important. This keeps going back to you do not work for salvation. You do not work for salvation. He did not say, okay, once you clean up your act, then I'll come. Jesus says, I've cleaned up your act. And in response, that's what Zacchaeus does. And just real quick, it, it's important here just to notice what he says. Verse 8, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. According to the law of Moses, 
paying fourfold or four times as much was an excessive amount of cost. So here's the example. According to the Mosaic law, if you sold something, let's just say I stole your car. I don't know why I said car, but I want your car. I steal your car, but I voluntarily confess of stealing your car. I would, if I voluntarily confess, I would give you back your car. I would pay you 20% of what the value of your car. Then I would go to the temple and offer um, a sacrifice, a trespass or guilt sacrifice, which is usually a ram. So you got that? I steal your car. I feel so bad. I give it back to you. I even wash it for you. I pay you 20%, then I go to the temple, I offer a ram. Now, let's just say I was caught. I stole your car, but I don't feel guilty because I have no conscience and I don't care. But you, I get caught. Now that I get caught, I have to give you the car, but now I have to pay you 50% of the value of your car with your car and then go sacrifice a ram. See, the worse that it is, the more you have to pay. Now... Let's say I steal your car and I go wreck it and I drive it off a cliff and it blows up. Now I have to pay you four times the amount because you cannot have what was once yours any longer. So I steal your car, I drive it off a cliff, it blows up, I have to pay you four times the value of the car and then I have to go make a sacrifice if they let me in. So what Zacchaeus is essentially saying here When he says, I have cheated people on their taxes and I will give them back four times as much, he's saying, I know I've ruined lives that they will never be able to have back. You see how how Christ comes into someone's life and it totally reveals the sin in your life and you're like, I'm willing to make it right. He's willing to pay up four times the price. But not, and Jesus does not come into his house because he promised to do all of these things Zacchaeus does all of these things because of what Christ has done. It's our response. That's why James says, without, without works, faith is dead. It doesn't say you have to have works in order to have faith. Jesus calls him from a tree. He comes down, and Zacchaeus' life is radically transformed. The tradition goes on, whether or not it's true, is that Zacchaeus ends up starting five different churches. He dies a martyr's death. He's tied with the limestone around his neck and thrown into the ocean, if it is indeed true. But he gave up everything. So with, and the tradition continues on. He does pay back all the people that he cheated. He uses the other half that he kept to start all of these churches. His life is totally transformed. Just one more thing about the paying back fourfold. You remember when David... Uh, sleeps with Bathsheba. Then Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him that story about there's a guest who comes, a rich man. He takes the poor man's one one little lamb, sacrifices it instead of all of his. And David's so fierce and said, who is that man? 2 Samuel 12, 6, it says, and he shall restore that lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Like this fourfold is repentance. I'm going to Repent for that. And that's why Jesus, when Jesus comes, he says, he's paid for that. I've allowed you to repent. So quickly, the encounter with the crowd. If you go back and consider what the crowd said. Verse 6. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. 
Why would the crowd be so upset at Jesus? If Jesus indeed came to save sinners, why would they be so upset? Why would they be angry? Why would they call him notorious? That's one way of translating it. I mean, the other the translation, if you look through it, means the worst of the sinners, the chief sinners. They, it's a play on the words, chief tax collector, chief sinner. Why, why, why would they be so upset? Why didn't the crowd say, ooh, I hope Jesus comes to my house too? Why didn't they go knock on the door and say, can we join you? Or Jesus, after you're done with him, will you come to our house too? Why would they be so upset? I think it's self-righteousness. I think that they felt that they were self-sufficient in their own doing good, that they didn't need a savior. And after all, what does Christians have to do with sinners anyways? Aren't we supposed to stay away from them? No. So I do wonder, at least for myself, do, I was challenged looking back at my interactions with people in general. Am I someone in the crowd that would want nothing to do with a Zacchaeus? I hope not. I do wrestle back and forth a little bit about what my role is as sharing the gospel, getting to know my neighbors who are not followers of Christ, and yet not being with them in sin. Where is that line? When I see someone who is in sin or someone that I think is too far from God, why do I think that? Why do I... Why do I judge? Part of self-righteousness is being proud of myself. And self-righteousness is just really a comparison tool to make ourselves feel better than we actually are. And granted, I know that there are some probably in here, and we've talked about this before. I won't belabor the point too much. But we blame the church for the reason why things are bad or our, relation, our lack of relationship with God. Well, if only you knew those people or that church. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I have two friends that are struggling with that. And my question is always the same. I understand that church was bad, that pastor was bad, I'm bad too, but what does it have to do with your relationship with Christ? Well, they always, and the self-righteousness. But I would suggest, even within that, blaming other people is a form of self-righteousness. So really what it is, is the people could not see that Jesus would come to the worst of the worst. Because they put Jesus in a box and said, this is how you operate, Jesus. But yet, Zacchaeus was the only one who had the childlike faith who climbed in the tree. And then he closes out, salvation has come to the house. Salvation has come to the house. Verse 9, Jesus responds, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And that's how we know he's Jewish. He's come and he's believed. And then, perhaps, top 10 favorite verse of all time, verse 10 For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. I like Stotts, just, he wrote down Zacchaeus is a model to everyone of how to receive Jesus. And he has these bullet points Receive Jesus by seeking after him with real effort. Receiving Jesus by humbling yourself. Receive Jesus no matter how sinful or hated you are. Receive Jesus as he invites you by name. Receive Jesus without delay. Receive Jesus by coming down to him. Receive Jesus himself. 
Receive Jesus to realize he came to you. Receive Jesus into your life, into your home. Receive Jesus joyfully. Receive Jesus despite what others say. And receive Jesus with repentance and restitution. So the question is, is with our encounters with Jesus, are we willing to be childlike and have childlike faith? Regardless of what everyone else says, are you willing to run to your daddy and say, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I need you. It doesn't matter what everyone else says. And no, Daddy, I know you're not too busy talking to all those people for me. And that's what Christ invites for each and every one of us. And that's truly an encounter with, with Jesus. It's an encounter. So with that, I would like to invite Mark up to come and share uh, his encounter with Jesus. Come on up, Mark. We should clap to encourage him. Hey, a side note, and um, the way that I got Mark up here is I totally set this guy up. <laughs> he invited me for lunch. That's dangerous. No. All right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I, uh, I've never spoke on stage before, so if this goes south, um, send all your comments reports to Dallas. <laughs> yeah. um, this all started back when COVID was pretty rampant. Um, we had no in-person service to go to. Um, and I just happened to be speaking to a friend of mine, Tim, at work one day, and he invited us to uh, renew. So I went home and I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, Tim asked if we could or would come to church and see what it's all about. So she said, absolutely. So we showed up on Sunday morning, and we were just simply amazed. We were welcomed with open arms by everyone. Um, by the end of the service, we knew already that we had found a place, and I mean, we it, we, we we went for a drive afterwards, and we discussed music. We discussed you, Dallas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was all good. It was. Uh, I said, you know, this is a pastor I can get behind. I, this, you know, was just everything was amazing. Just uh, the kindness and graciousness that we'd seen from each and every one of you. Um, I know I've never had a chance to be able to thank all of you for that, but today's my day to do that. Um, I thank Tim for the invitation. He's been a constant in my life for many years now, and so will the rest of you. So, you're stuck with me, Marcus. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so anyways, um, the Jesus moment for me in all this is we had been praying about this, not having a service to go to, and it was really affecting us. And there it was. It was just a chance conversation with a friend. Um, Renew was here, and it was just you know, God's hand at work, right? Amen. Um, hey, that's about all I can say. All right. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Thank all of you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. So really just consider what your encounter is, just like Mark said, 
he was invited in a response. And then he was invited back and it was a response. And, 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 and it's not to a church, I'm thankful that you're here, but it is on to Christ. That's why Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. Not to beat him up, but to save him. So we are going to receive communion this morning. You're invited to receive communion if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'll sing a couple of songs and then uh, some of the guys will pass out the elements and then we'll receive it together. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for this story that we sometimes consider as a child's story, a children's story. And yet it reveals to us that we do need to have childlike faith to enter into the kingdom where we just run to you and say, Daddy, we need you. Where we know that you make us feel as if we are the most important person to us because we are and we all are. And not because of our good deeds, but because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, as you say you're coming to the house, just like in Revelation, you stand at the door and knock and whoever lets you in, you will come and dine with them. So, Lord, we're thankful. And, Lord, whenever we get too proud of admitting that we need something from you or need to come to you or whatever it is, will you just, through your spirit, strip that away? Let us be willing to climb into a tree to see you, throw ourselves at your feet, run to a pool, whatever it takes, Lord. Will you help us not worry about the crowd and look over our shoulders about the approval of man, but only the approval of you? Lord, we thank you for a renewed church and for the churches that uh, proclaim your name. And we just thank you for blessing us. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for your... the death on the cross. So Lord, as we sing a couple more songs to you, will you prepare our hearts to receive communion? We love you in Christ's name. Amen.